0: Hello, everyone, and welcome inside Take to Take here. Patrick Talent, as always, joined alongside my two co-hosts, Nick Robinson and Luke Burroughs for episode number 51. I say this every week, but it feels like we haven't done an episode in a while. Are you guys with me this time? Because it doesn't feel like it's been a while.
1: I mean, we're kind of back into the into the weekly schedule, so yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in the in the rhythm.
0: I feel like with the fact that there's
2: now you know four or five games we're each watching in between episodes now, it makes it feel like a lot longer than there is because there's a lot more talking points that come out of that. And I feel like we have to catch up on that every week now. So that's been interesting.
0: A lot more talking points. And I think that's probably why this one feels longer than usual. It's because a lot of stuff happened last week. Some trades, um, a big trade, actually one of the biggest blockbusters we've seen in the NHL in quite some time. And uh, to touch on more recent news, actually, Jim Rutherford, um general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins uh retired all of a sudden and he just kind of cited personal reasons um obviously Rutherford took a lot of heat for the offseason he had um trading you know good draft picks who would end up being good prospects and and Hollander and Amirov for Kapanen signing McMatheson and I think he took a lot of heat I'm not saying this is why obviously but um he, he cited personal reasons. Hopefully, there's nothing too serious. Hopefully, there's nothing going on with his health. But um, this kind of came at non-time. What do you guys kind of make of the situation here?
1: I I mean, it's tricky because personal reasons are personal reasons. You don't really know. But um, it's it's a bit odd I because I know on the, I guess, yesterday's broadcast, um, yesterday's Hockey Central broadcast, they were saying he was involved with the Yannick Weber signing at – like noon yesterday, um, whether that, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure the decision to to resign wasn't made um, solely after that. But it's just interesting how how quickly it happened. Um, and then I'm sure we're going to get into it as well. The uh, potential list of replacements is um, a hot topic right now. So uh, I'll let Nick say his, his piece before I kind of get into that because there's some issues I have there.
2: Yeah, well, that's a pretty good tee-up, Luke. Obviously, you know, Jim Rutherford deserves a lot of respect because the Penguins won two Stanley Cups, quite frankly, after their window was supposed to be closed. And they really did that on the back of just smart transactions that were made by Jim Rutherford. And, you know, obviously hiring Mike Sullivan played a crucial role in that. But it is fair to acknowledge that he has played an equally significant role in downgrading the team since that. Obviously, with some of the additions you mentioned, Patrick, and, I'm gonna pull up this list here. This was a graphic shown on Sportsnet of some of the possible replacements for Jim Rutherford. And you know, you look at the screen here. You got Tom Fitzgerald, Ron Hextall. That would be interesting given his history with the Flyers. Jason Botterill. He was formerly of the Pittsburgh organization. Had a very difficult time in Buffalo. He was supposed to be the guy that turned them around. Uh, John Ferguson Jr. He's with the Bruins right now. And uh, Dale Talon. <laughs> oh boy. What can you say about Dilltal and what he did for the Flyers? I know uh, Peter shirelli was definitely thrown around this one too. It's I'm not wild about the uh, replacements being Nate or sort of floated around here. If I'm a
0: Pittsburgh fan, Pat, yeah, no, this like again we touched about this with coaches. You know, whenever someone gets fired, we're going to look to all the unemployed guys. And this summer, before the um, Washington fired their coach, we looked at Laviolette, we looked at Mike Babcock, we looked at Gerard Gallant. And it's no different for GMs. The only thing is my knowledge about some of the GMs that are available might not be as high as my knowledge of some of the coaches. That's the only thing Uh, looking at that list. It's kind of tough to make an argument for, for some of them. And um, if I knew, if I had a better understanding of the GM market, I might have a better idea, but yeah, Nick, you touched on something, touching something good there. And that's that Rutherford had a sort of a weird tenure because give the guy credit. He did everything every single year. To, to maximize the window uh, and get the best out of Crosby Malkin every single year. He went to the podium. He said, our goal is to win the Stanley cup. Our goal is to surround these players with the best players possible. You know what? We will sacrifice the future to win right now because we have two of the best players in the cap era. We're going to, we're going to do it. And he did that. And a lot of the times, you know, the two cups in, in three years was, was it back to back years? Back to back years. And, yeah. Back to back plus the one in 2009 and 10 or nine, whatever. I'm getting my dates mixed up, but, he, he made a conscious effort to win with that squad and he made good moves. And then near the end, we kind of saw some questionable moves, obviously the one reacquiring uh, Kasperi Kapanen giving up a good prospect or a pick and then prospect right on a It's kind of weird, but I'd also like to give him some credit. He was one of the first GMs who actually looked into analytics. Pittsburgh was one of the first teams that actually got involved in hiring analytic people, uh, consultants, looking at the graphs, looking at the data that we we pull up a lot on this on this show. So um kind of a weird ending and and if it wasn't just to change personnel hopefully everything is okay with uh, with Jim Rutherford well I think Luke yeah. you wanted to mention something well,
1: yeah so that that replacement list and I, I we had this conversation recently I don't remember what the topic was on I think it was on because I don't remember who's been fired recently mm-hmm. um anyways though you kind of mentioned it like it's just the, the list whenever a coach or a gm gets fired the list for potential replacements is just the same rotation of five five uh five guys and it it it's just like why can't why can't they expand their 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 potential suitors list like there, there's so many qualified and i'm sure effective names out there and it just frustrates me that that whenever something like this happens it's just someone from from that rotating cast just ends up slotting in anyways and i'm assuming that's what's going to happen here as well
0: and that begs another question is what what's the plan for pittsburgh it should be to win right now but at the same time you don't want to rebuild obviously with this squad But at the same time you've sacrificed a lot of futures some really good picks some really good prospects to to bolster the roster right now Whoever comes in is in a peculiar situation. There was an article on NHL saying this team has to win. Now they're in a must win situation in part because of this, Nick, I'd imagine you'd think that the goal, the motive should be to still win the cup. But do you think whoever comes in might take a little bit of a step back, maybe move on to, for some, from some assets and, and try to get some futures here? I can't see how you can just because of the players that they already have in
2: that system, what is around there. And they've already given so much up up from that future core already. So I think if you're Pittsburgh, you're going to look at what won you the two previous cups, and that's just making smart one-for-one moves, just the little transactions that help grow your hockey team. And if they're going to bring in somebody with sort of an eye to make good bets on players, that could work out. Um, You know, there's no reason why pretty much a repeat of what Jim Rutherford was able to do in 1516 couldn't happen again. So, uh, you know, I'd go for it again if I'm Jim or if I'm Jim Rutherford's replacement, I'm just looking to make small, smart moves that can benefit the hockey team now and using Crosby and Malkin while you can. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I think, yeah, like I agree with Nick. I, I, and I don't really think you have a choice coming in with the, yeah. with the team you're given. You're kinda, you kinda have to run with, with what's there for a few years. Um, because obviously, like we we keep reiterating, Crosby and Malkin, they're uh, they're they're still very good. They're older, um, but they're still very good. So you don't really have a choice.
0: Yeah, it, it would be almost insulting, regardless of what Rutherford did, was to come in and say, "Well, no, we're gonna you know we're gonna completely not blow it up," but you know what I mean. Anyway. Uh, hope all is well with Jim Rutherford. There is an interim in, in Pittsburgh right now, obviously. Uh, let's get to the bigger bigger news. And this was one of the biggest blockbuster trades we've had in the last couple of years uh, involving two really high picks. So if you've been living under a complete rock, this shouldn't be news, or this should be news, but the Winnipeg Jets acquired Pierre-Luc Dubois, a 2022 third-round pick in exchange for Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovich. Um, we had talked about Patrick Laine and we actually probably the two biggest stars we've talked about on most of our shows have been Patrick Laine and Pierre-Luc Dubois looking at the situations with their teams, with their coaches. Are they happy where they are? Um, could there be a deal there? And we finally saw it. Uh, there was a bunch leading up to this. I thought the Laine situation in Winnipeg kind of got better. It didn't seem like there was as much drama there. Where on the flip side in Columbus, you had Pierre-Luc Dubois benching. Uh, or uh, Tortorella benching Pierre-Luc Dubois for an entire period after some really lazy plays. Regardless, they made the trade. I'm curious to hear what you guys think, because I might be the minority here on who I think won, but um, just real quick, who do you guys think won the trade? Nick, I'll start with you. I think short-term you're looking at a win for Winnipeg here. I
2: think Dubois is the better player right now. However, anytime you're giving up two assets uh, when you're Winnipeg, to acquire that player you've got Rostovic who's you know very much a wild card in this trade he could he's a boomer bust pretty much at this point Patrick Laine we know what he is he is the one of the the purest talents in the league in terms of he's so one dimensional all he does is score goals and he does that exceptionally well and a lot better than some of his peers but it almost feels like to me Laine's got that maybe one step above that he can hit Possibly that I don't think Dubois can reach, He's got a higher ceiling. But I think if you're looking right now, next couple of years at least, uh, this trade serves Winnipeg well, and I think Dubois is more of that sure bet compared to what Linea and Rosslevik are. So I've given the edge to Columbus here, or sorry, to Winnipeg here. Um, I think they've got the better player out of it. So that's I agree. Sort of my initial feel,
1: and I think the key uh, thing to kind of acknowledge is. Yes, I I think we kind of agree. Line A Line A can hit that that just that one step above what what Dubois can do, and um, Dubois being uh, a player in, in the stage of his career where he is, he's um, you'd have to think he's kind of around wherever his ceiling is. Um, but I I think for, from if if I wanted to play it safe, I would rather be Winnipeg right now for the reasons Nick mentioned. Um, Dubois he's better now he's it's 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 tricky to to send a player uh like line a to go play under Tortorella uh you can't you can't deny that there are some players that just don't I mean we've seen it in this trade there are some players that just don't uh mesh well with um with his coaching style or whatever you want to call it so I think the, the higher ceiling on the trade would certainly be um, the return Columbus got they have uh, a higher potential for for winning this trade but in terms of playing it safe and just getting a, a, a pretty solid asset you'd, you'd have to say you'd have to say Winnipeg. but it's funny uh, and you kind of mentioned this Pat it's funny that when all the armchair GMs were, were looking at these two situations two separate situa- situations in Winnipeg and Columbus, everyone's saying well, just swap them like it, it makes sense um and it's it's funny because a, a trade like this like usually teams would take advantage of the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation and how that's going in Columbus and they kind of take advantage of Columbus and and uh you know offer a pretty lopsided deal but you've got two situations two isolated situations that um I guess happened at, at the perfect time for each other and you see a pretty a pretty unique trade I don't know how often you'd see that
0: Yeah. um, Especially the fact that they were picked two and three in, uh, in that draft. So uh, comparing the players for me, I think Columbus got the better player by far, even on, on Patrick Line's down year um, in, in 2019 and 2020, he still had 28 goals. He had 63 points in 68 games. This is a fantastic hockey player who can score goals at will. Unlike most other players in the league, arguably, top well easily top five release probably top three if you wanted to look into that but I I really think Patrick Laine the way he can score goals the the kind of player he is I I can't look at Winnipeg and think that they got the better end of the deal what I will say though is I think Pierre-Luc Dubois fits into their lineup much better than Patrick Laine does in Columbus I think you look at Columbus's lineup you look up down the middle you have Alexander Texier and Max Domi who Domi I've said before I'm not really convinced of his ability as a centerman and then Jack Roslovich uh hopping into the third line um how line a fits in with those centers they're all fine playmakers but line a someone who isn't that great defensively probably needs a little bit more of a defensive presence beside him so that's sort of my my issue with the trade i'm seeing a ton of people think that winnipeg definitely you know uh they they fleeced they fleeced columbus and i, I can't really see that um just the type of player patrick line is i think i think um I think he's the better player. And even if you looked at the draft, if people even had Dubois ceiling as being what it is now, I still think line a ceiling is that much higher. And I think a lot of people talk about Dubois as if he's some two way center. He's not, he's never really been. And not that he can't become that, but he's, his defensive numbers have never really been that good. You can look at J fresh player cards. You can look at the, you can look at the viz that we pull up so often on this. He's really not some two way center. He's a really good offensive center. And he, I think he probably addresses a need on, on Winnipeg more, but um, if I'm building a team, I'll be I'll be. Picking, You'd have to
1: um, think there's more risk for Columbus here, though, wouldn't you? Uh,
0: well, I think, and what his next contract's going to be if he stays and if they get him surrounded with the right players, yeah. <clears throat> but I I don't think there's risk in acquiring, a pure goal scorer because we've seen what he can do. And we saw it at the start of the season, right? He he opened, almost was it a hat trick against Calgary and on the, second or third. Two, goal goals, two goal, goals. Two goals. Um and at the same time, if we, want, if we want to get into this, there's obviously some stuff going on, or there was with Line in, in Winnipeg, and he still came out and played hockey. That was still an issue from the playoffs with with Tortorella and Dubois, and Dubois kind of acted like a baby the way he was playing. Do you guys agree with that or no? Uh, no,
2: because I just, I don't agree with the, forcing players to play when they've made it clear they don't wish to play for that team you know I think for the signs were pretty much there when the Dubois contract negotiation went as deep into the offseason as it did the season was practically on the verge of beginning and he wasn't signed so I think from that point on I think Columbus really should have just sat him out and look to either make a deal quicker then because obviously when they had a bit more urgency to make the deal, they got it done pretty quickly. Um, you know, from that one infamous shift night against Tampa Bay compared to when he was traded, I think that was an overall turnaround of what, 24 to 36 hours. something should have made that effort to trade him uh, when he made it sort of clear that he wanted to be traded as opposed to, you know, making this a pretty dramatic thing as it turned out to be.
0: Right, and I think it's worth noting Pierre-Luc Dubois did not publicly request a trade. John Tortorella went on Columbus Sports Radio and said, yep, yeah, he wants out and, and was talking about it. And I think they both made good points. Tortorella was saying, look, it's really hard to coach a guy who doesn't want to be here. We put a lot of effort into developing players and hearing they don't want to be here sucks. And I can I can imagine that as what it's like being under Tortorella at the same time. And I'm not looking to pick anyone's sides, but I, I do think you know, there was obviously some some stuff under line A, and obviously it dissolved. But he still played hockey, and I, I get what you're saying. Um, Luke, do you have any other thoughts on this? Well, I
1: just I just think we drama. don't know, right? Like, we, yeah. there's so much here, um, right? Especially in Columbus, and we don't know, so it's it's hard to say. It's and it could very well be Dubois getting put in a really bad light unfairly, um, or it could be the total opposite of that. We just have no idea what conversations are are being or were being had uh in columbus or winnipeg so
0: right It' exciting though blockbusters are fun and i think it's the um, biggest
1: do you think it's the only big bigger trade of the year i could very well see it being the only like i'm sure there'll be some minor ones but i could very well see this one being the only you know half I, this is big but the only half what was what, trade would,
0: what, what would have been like a big i'm trying to think i'm just blanking on all the big trades um that when happened. like recently and a lot like let's say let's say up until a year ago what were like some significant uh,
1: no idea what they've all been a year ago i couldn't even
0: i'm just thinking like free agent signings you know petrangelo signing and krug signing but i'm trying to think of like a big trade i don't know that that kind of ties into our next our next topic quite the segue luke is uh yarmo kekalainen is <laughs> he's had some blockbusters he is not afraid um to pull the trigger i think the big one that a lot of the time people deemed a perfectly flawless trade was seth jones for ryan johansson and this is one where honestly neither player panned out to what they were expected to be. Johansson's kind of a 50, 60 point center. Uh, Seth Jones puts up points as, as a defenseman, but um, for my money, he, he is not what people think he is just from what I've seen. And what I have read from him, Jay Fresh had a fantastic article about how Jeff, Jay Fresh is not, or uh, Jay Fresh talked about Seth Jones. Jones is not the shutdown elite top pair defenseman that everyone thinks he is. He's a really good defenseman anyway. I wrote some trades down here. Let's look at Seth Jones and Ryan Johansson. Who do you think? And that was with the uh, Poyle and Dashville, by the way, who do you think won that trade?
2: I probably still go Columbus did, um, you know, Johansson for all, you know, sort of the concerns you have about the specifics of Jones play. I think a lot of those concerns are existent with Johansson as well. And, I, I, he's just not consistent enough. I still like Seth Jones. I still think there is a bit more to his game, even though there definitely are some flaws that don't get talked about enough. But uh, I still like Seth Jones the player more. I think.
1: Yeah, I both players certainly have their, um, their aspects that uh, I don't. Whoopsies. Huh, that I don't think were um expected. Uh, you know, when they were starting their careers, but when you just kind of look at the players there, I'd, I'd have to agree with Nick. I think, um, I think, I think Jones is just sort of a, he's kind of rounded himself out better. Um, so yeah. And that, that trade at the time though, like when, when that trade, what was the, what was the date on that?
0: Uh, January 6th, uh, 6th 2016. 2016.
1: So, wow. So I, yeah. Yeah. So I just think um, <clears throat> at, at the time it probably, I think it would have been a bit trickier to answer, but but now, and it's not not at all like one is, um, you know, miles above the other. I think just if you, you know, I'd more confidently say Jones. Though again, both um, both certainly have their their drawbacks for sure.
0: And yeah, that's the thing. You look at the time, uh, Poyle and the Predators. They had uh, Shea Weber, um, and Nashville was good then, right? Nashville like, was yeah. good, and not Nashville could Nashville could afford um, to give up. Uh, a defenseman to get a center, and you look at Columbus. They had, I think, they had Nick Foligno back then when he was playing center, at least in their top six. He had he had a couple yeah, really yeah. good seasons back then, so they could afford to give up Ryan Johansson. I just think there was so much hype around these players, and that was seen as a flawless trade. Looking back, it was it's a blockbuster at the time, but it's not really that big of a deal yeah. considering neither and players have, have panned out. Johansson's
1: too. contract sucks. Is that correct? If I yeah, remember. I, if I remember, yeah, a lot of it, I think it's pretty. Yeah. I think it's like Duchesne's.
0: Yeah, a lot of Nashville contracts aren't aren't great. Okay, let's and, do one and more real quick.
2: What? Actually, hindsight on those ones, because a lot of Nashville contracts we thought were really good at the time. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yep, yeah. all right. Well, there uh, there's a list, actually. There was like a top 25 of Yarmo's uh, biggest trades and stuff like that. Um, but here's one from 2017. Um, Brandon Saad, Anton Forsberg, a 2018 fifth round pick to Chicago um, in return for Artemi Panarin, Tyler Mott. Luke, you're familiar with him and a 2016 2017 sixth round pick. um, Picks aside, Sodden, Forsberg for Panarin and Mont. We have to say he won this. You get our Temmie Panarin. Uh, He he got one of the very best wingers in the league to play for Columbus.
2: Uh, And one of the things you can't underrate here is that besides, obviously, they probably didn't win as much as they wanted to with Panarin there for the couple of years. But you have to look at how relevant Columbus was in terms of the broader scale of the league for at least a couple of years because, you know, it's not every day you can just bring in a superstar. With all due respect to Brandon Saad, Artemi Panarin just is that
0: much more of a step up from him. Yeah.
2: And uh, that was pretty big for Columbus.
0: Yeah, I remember watching that series against Tampa. Those were fun playoff games with Panarin and they they really went off. And I'm not a bit, I don't really watch Columbus.
1: Was that the sweep?
0: Like, yeah. and that team was fun. Anyway, um, Anderson Domi too soon to tell. We've talked endlessly about that. We don't have to get into that. All right. So let's move on and, and touch, touch on the Vancouver Canucks, uh, Luke, your team, uh, they had a three game stint against the Montreal Canadians. I won't gloat. Montreal handed it to them though, getting points in every single game. um, they didn't Toffoli. win
1: every single game though. Let's
0: No, but they still got points in every single game. They got, they got yep. five of a possible six points. So can't be too upset as a Habs fan. Tyler DeFoli is looking like a fantastic addition. Anyway, I won't get too much into it. However, um, not to rip on the Canucks and I'm not just doing this because I do a show with a Canucks fan, but, hmm. um, Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes struggled and they struggled immensely. Uh, in a lot of the games where Vancouver put up a lot of points, Pedersen did not register them. He didn't register a shot. Um, Hughes is getting a lot of assists. He's struggling a lot defensively. We talked about their struggles. What do you make of it? You kind of thought that Pedersen was in his own head. Do you still think that? And and what do you think is causing this?
1: I'm not worried about them like long-term, like career wise. I'm not at all concerned Am I concerned that they're doing this at the beginning of a fifty-six game season? Yeah, a little bit. Like it's kind of the timing isn't. How can great. you not be? Um, that being said, I, I really do think it's. I think it's confidence issues in two young guys, and I think the room is quite shaken up from last year. And we can go back and listen to the episodes. I think in August when Vancouver was doing well in the playoffs, um, and I was I was raving about how how much that the room just like the team just seemed to gel together um, with that lineup. And it was pretty torn apart uh, over that shortened off season. Um, And from a, from a just on paper standpoint, again, I'll, I'll stand by it. I don't hate it. I don't, I don't hate what happened, but from a intangible standpoint, and this just seems more apparent as every day, as every game goes by, there's clearly been a big hit. And I know Kevin Bieksa said this on a broadcast a few days ago. I, I don't know how legitimate this is, but he said when Hughes was struggling, who would he go to? When Pedersen was struggling, who would he go to? And it was Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom. So it's tough. Um, and it, it's clear that the team just hasn't been able to get their stuff together. Those two guys, are their confidence was just in the ground. I'd like to think Pedersen's kind of getting back back into it now especially I think I think no offense Nick but I think a three game stint against Ottawa was just what they needed (laughs) because I think what they've outscored 12 to 2 over the past two games we'll see what happens tonight but um I don't know it just it just kind of sucks to see because I was so happy with with how the team looked last year and now it's just it it doesn't at all look the same so I don't know
2: well surely it can't get any better for the Canucks really eh yeah yeah right now Yeah, no, but I I will say on Pedersen, though, I don't think in the 7-1 game, he looked particularly good. No. I didn't really notice him, which was bizarre for a game your team's up 7-1. And even last night. At at points last night, right? Mm. He didn't look great. He got a good power play goal, which was, by the way, I'm not sure if there's an NHL challenge that exists (laughs) <laughs> um for when the boards are flashing, the strobe lights going and there's smoke being sprayed out before a goal goes in um i'm not you said luke i think that was some sort of foreshadowing um but i, I don't know if there's some sort of rule in there that centers could challenge that but i've never seen that before but i i don't know maybe maybe that's, that's actually a happened push he needed, in Rogers right, arena of strobe lights
0: just give him that little bit
2: of push a little bit of confidence
0: yeah well I, if if i could talk with patterson real quick because it's, it's one thing to, to have your confidence shot. And, and every every team, especially young players, they go through that. And it seemed like Hughes was still playing with confidence for the most part. He was still skating the puck up. It was just he seemed to overlook his defensive play. And even, look at last year. I was actually looking at his wrap charts before the game. He was good both offensively and defensively. This year, it's just only offense. And he just seems to have completely forgotten about the defensive game. But with Pedersen he made – two really bad turnovers against Montreal, one against... Cardinal. Oh, he, he made, made a million, yeah. And yeah, then there was the Toffoli one that led to the goal. And even last night, um, it's one thing to not play with confidence, but it almost seems like Vancouver isn't keen on using him as much. They were showing some stuff on Sportsnet, some power plays. They're working at... First of all, Vancouver's power play um, looked much better, but they were they were working mainly with Bo Horvat and JT Miller and Quinn Hughes on the left side of the half wall, basically leaving Pedersen there that entire time. And even when he for a good chunk of it, at least against Montreal. Would you say that's fair?
1: Yeah, and but can okay, I just well, say, like, yeah. I wouldn't even say Hughes. That cycle, like, the cycle game right now between Horvat, Besser, and Miller is insane. That is where yes. Horvat is getting his goals. That's where Besser is getting a lot of his points. Like, that has looked right. really good, not even involving... Patterson just hangs out on the far wall. Just yeah,
0: and at, it's at a it's a good thing that you don't have to... They, like, Montreal gives the puck to Shea Weber every single time. It has not worked for a long time, despite the better options they have. This is almost kind of a good thing in a way that you don't have to use that one weapon you have in Pedersen. You have Miller, uh, Besser, Horvat, Hughes who, who can work it down low. But it's their hesitancy to, to not even pass it to them. Okay, so even when you can work with with Hughes and Horvat and Besser down low, it's a really good thing. But just not even using them is, is what's kind of cause for concern. They haven't really given him the puck that much, even when he's getting it. He's not he doesn't even look like he shoot. wants
1: it, though. Exactly.
0: Like- and that's And that's the thing. It's really weird. And then you look at... Last night night's sports Sportsnet was talking about in the intermission that sort of it was almost a partial breakaway, but then it became a three-on-one. Any other time, if Pedersen's going down that side with the puck, he should be shooting and making a deke. It almost seems like he doesn't even want to shoot. Well, that's and the thing. If he, and... if he made that back pass and it didn't release, oh, JT know, Miller almost missed that. Mm-hmm. If they didn't score there, then they're thinking Pedersen, why aren't you shooting the puck? So this this has to be a confidence thing. But I, I just want to know what you th- what you kind of make of all
1: it's this. it's. It's it's all over the ice. He just does not look like he wants the puck, especially in the Montreal series. I think the Toffoli giveaway was the one he was just like right inside the blue line. He tried to cross it and he just shot it right into the Canadian stick. I don't think that was Toffoli, but it's in like last year, if he was in that situation, he would have done something really cool with his feet and come out the other side with the puck. And everyone would have been like classic Pedersen, but now he's just, he does not want the puck. He shoots it away and Tyler Toffoli goes down and scores his eighth goal of the game. So I, I think it's not an issue of him not being used. I think everyone know. like, I, I don't think the that power play unit is oblivious that he's not on his game right now. Um, like I said, Besser Miller and Horvat clearly are on their game they can just have fun with it until Petterson figures it out. And then when Peterson figures it out, you've got four extremely lethal weapons on the ice that you're going to score like every time. So I, I don't know. I, I think I, I, have all the faith in the world that he will, he will figure out whatever this is. And then you, you won't have to worry about worry about giving him the puck because he'll just be normal Peterson.
0: All right, Nick, well, let me ask you here, because we talked about this, I think, at least a couple episodes about the offseason, about Jim Benning as a GM. I've been very vocal. I don't think he's a good GM, even his drafting record. I know people give him a lot of credit. I don't think he's been that good of a... Of a of a scout, if you want to call it, um, there's been numerous reports about the picks he's made that they that have worked out. That he didn't even want Elias Patterson, apparently, um, back in, in in his draft year. You look at Quinn Hughes completely falling to them. Um, that was a good pick, obviously. But you know, Benning loves the ECHL guys, but a lot of their really good European picks were from some of his uh, some of his associates and, and the co scouts that Vancouver has. Regardless, we talked about the offseason Vancouver had, and we had kind of beat around the bush and we sort of realized he had a bad offseason, In my opinion, losing all those guys sucks and, and not finding viable replacements for them. You know, giving Jake for a contract instead of Tyler to and then coming out, hearing that there wasn't even communication with Tyler to and they didn't even tender an offer. There was nothing really clear there. Same thing with Jacob Markstrom. It seemed like they were too caught up in, in Jake for Tannen. I don't think, to, I don't to think
1: get... that's the issue
0: though. Okay, well, you look at like, if not, if not Jake, a marksman, you look at Tyler Toffoli and I talked about it on Sportsnet how essentially there wasn't really any communication with Tyler Toffoli you gave up a lot of assets to get him a good prospects and Tyler Madden you have him for 16 games he plays excellent he's excellent in the playoffs he says he wants to come back he was exactly what Vancouver needed for their to sort of relieve the pressure off of their elite offensive pieces and they didn't communicate with him they never really tendered him an offer and then all of a sudden he's thinking well okay I'm going to sign somewhere else at a at a very reasonable cap hit and all of that happening had Canucks fans fine. It seemed like more on Twitter, they were more vocal, but wanting Benning gone. You you know, losing Markstrom fine, and, and you can have faith in, in Demko and Holby who've actually been okay this season. That's fine. F. hurts. You don't really get a viable replacement for his role, or at least a veteran presence. You lose to Foley. They're in a really bad situation, and Luke, you had mentioned you were okay with it, given how He couldn't really have done anything else too crazy. And that's cut, but hold on because of, because of mistakes he made, he didn't do. Yeah. Right.
1: So like, yeah, exactly. I, I don't think, I don't think lack of communication is the, where you should be pointing the finger right now. I'm sure if Benning, hold on, I'm sure if Benning thought he was going to be able to make a deal, he would have communicated, I think, but I'm, I'm not at all. um, Letting Benning off the hook. I think the issue is, is you've got, $15 $15 million tied up in Louis Erickson, Tyler Myers, and like Jay Beagle or something. With that kind of money, you signed Tofoli, you signed Markstrom, you signed Tanev, you probably signed Stetcher as well. Maybe you at least signed Markstrom to Foley. You're
2: close to all those guys.
1: Tanev. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's just, it's a situation but, but where he, you look at it like, and I know hindsight is 2020. The Louis Erickson signing at the time. If it was six million over three years, I'm fine with that, even if he um plummeted like he did in that first year. But six million over six years is extremely dumb. Same with Meyer. It's it's the term for a lot of them. Why are you giving why are you? It seems Benning's conceding on both term and money when in reality, maybe say, Yeah, we can give you six million, we'll give you three years. Same thing to Myers. I don't, I don't know the exact right. number let on me Beagle, let me get to my yeah, all right. Continue.
0: I'll, I'll get to my question for Nick here. Because they said there wasn't communication, and the money that could have been signed, used to re-sign to Foley, was used for Vertanen and Godet. It's not like they didn't have. It's not like they were completely up against the cap. Godet hasn't hasn't lived up to to his play in college clearly, and Vertanen has never really been what people expected of. And to Foley was like the perfect fit for Vancouver system. Regardless, Luke, are you at a point or a, a Nick? Sorry, do you think at this point the Canucks should look to move on from Jim Benning?
2: Yes. I think they probably should have looked to move on from him back in 2016. Like literally, I I feel like I haven't gone really a stretch in my, you know, entire hockey fandom where I thought Jim Benning was really the guy to solve things in Vancouver. Yes. He's made a couple of decent draft picks here and there, but his pro scouting is completely flawed. And I will touch on another team whose pro scouting I think is completely flawed uh, after this, but you know, Jim Benning is definitely one of them. I think his, uh, how he evaluates players, how he addresses Vancouver's needs, it's a bit of a mess. And then he finally hits a home run, like you said, onto Foley. And because of other mistakes he's made, he doesn't have the money to resign him. I think Vancouver really just needs a fresh set of eyes on this to sort of guide them out of this trouble. Maybe a look to a bit more analytical type uh, decision-making just to make smarter moves when you're looking at bottom six guys like Beagle, because Beagle isn't not good because of his contract. He's not good. Cause Jay Beagle's not that good. Like that's one player that really sticks yeah. out in my mind. You just need to look at areas of your lineup that you can be getting for cheaper. And when you're committing multiple years in term, you know, multiple millions of dollars to guys in your bottom six, or, you know, not very good defensemen, it becomes a bit of a mess like we've seen in Vancouver. So and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Pedersen Hughes. Both of them are coming up here uh, soon. They're going to need Adler. to move some money around because right now on paper, I don't think you're able to keep all three of those guys.
1: And I I just like to, I don't think you signed to Foley with what you signed Vertanen and Gaudet for. I just like to make that no,
0: clear. No, well, what Vertanen's making what? A little, you know.
1: The two together is oh. three something. It's Vertanen's making. 2.55 which I like Godet's making 950. I, I don't think you're signing well, to Foley for Foley's only making three, 4.4 3.5 it, it, I I know Tofoli is not taking 3.5
0: no but but he's only making in Montreal 4.4
1: I know I know but I'm saying in any case whether he's dealing with Vancouver or Montreal or any other team I don't think there's any scenario where Tyler to takes 3.5 is what I'm
0: I yes but a GM can clear a million in space. You can you can you can move some stuff around. You can, right? Okay. Yeah. T- in that t-
2: case, t- in that case, if you're doing that, you probably don't sign Braden Holtby. You probably sign like a Thomas Grice or something like that. Yeah. You take sort of the million off
0: there. And and I will say like Holtby and Demko haven't been great, but they haven't definitely they haven't haven't been the problem. I, I would say like.
1: Dem Dem, but the first few games it was like, you you were waiting for them one of them to kind of catch on, and then you're going to ride right. them for a bit, and it looked like neither of them wanted it. I think Demko, again, sorry, Nick, it might just be because they're playing Ottawa, but I think Demko's kind of coming out of it now. So if he's if he's the number one, I'm I'm probably probably prefer that to be honest.
0: But all right. So just before we move on to the next topic, fire benning, just give me a yes or no.
1: Yes. Yeah, okay. absolutely.
0: Well, it's not really clear. it seems like you're like, well, I just think okay it's like
1: fire benning, I just think not for the reasons that people are getting upset about now. It's like this is this has been a an issue for Fire a while. Like,
2: shouldn't be a new thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. okay. Fair enough. Um. All right. Well, let's touch on uh, the Ottawa Senators, Nick. And again, I've I've watched most Sens games. I've been watching most of the games in the Canadian Division. Uh, the first couple games, I thought the Sens played were really exciting. We saw Tim Stutzel. We saw the game against Toronto that they won. That was a ton of fun. Um. And we talked about it. I Think first or second week. If Ottawa brought in too many veterans. Erica Branson, you had all the guys surrounding the young players in the top six, you had Logan Brown, not making the team. You had Branson, not making the team. And we were kind of thinking, yeah, you know what? It might be too many veterans. And now because I'm seeing since Twitter, obviously it's the people that were on our show before, uh, being very vocal about this lineup, having too many veterans and what started as a fun, what would, what would have been a fun, but dis- what I want to say this a fun season, but still not a good team. My expectations. Yes kind of just went to it almost seems like last year all over again what are your, what are your, what's your take on Ottawa right now is it clear they have too many veterans
2: we'll start this is already way worse than last year because I had zero expectations last year I expected them to be bad there was no immediate help on the way in terms of young prospects so you just sort of grind through it this year you look at the team you're thinking okay you've got Tim Stutzla stepping in you're going to have Drake Batherson Josh Norris stepping in, hopefully Eric Branstrom, Christian Willannon stepping in. You're not getting a lot of that this year. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the spat with Colin White and DJ Smith. That's still ongoing, you know, uh, DJ Smith finally threw Colin White on the second line last night. He went from healthy scratch to second line. And uh, Luke, I don't know if you noticed at all. He was obviously one of Ottawa's better forwards last night. He looked great. Um, And, you know, when you look at the amount of veterans they have on the roster, it's not that they just have a bunch of guys toying away in the top or in the bottom six. And on your third pairing, you've got lots of veterans in high pressure situations. They've had Artem Anisimov covering top six minutes at center, either him or Derek Stepan, both of which have been a disaster. Um, You've got Cedric Paquette, Austin Watson on the fourth line. Again, Austin Watson's maybe actually been a bit better than I thought he's going to be, but Austin Watson's not somebody you want to your your team very long-term. And he's signed for a couple of more years after this. Again, it's a disaster. Braden Coburn has not worked. Um, Matt Murray was supposed to come in, sort of get some confidence back. You know, he's 26, but he is a veteran in the league. Now he's been, uh, he's been around long enough. He's at least a veteran on a decently young senators team, but he has also been a disaster to this point. So it's not even that they have too many veterans. I think at this point, it's it's. I'm more so looking at the veterans that they brought in aren't even playing well. And I think to me, that is the insane part in all this because I'm not going to mind if they bring in a bunch of veteran guys and they're at least playing okay and the Senators look a bit better. This team looks far worse than it did at any point last year, which is mind boggling to me given the investment that peer put in a lot of these players. It's crazy.
1: All right. A question. Yeah. Um, I, from, from what I see on Twitter and what I hear just around Sens fans are upset. Can I ask who are you upset with? And then who is kind of the general Sens fandom upset with? And then I have a well, follow-up.
2: I would say the general fans, uh, the general fans, send them Sens fandom <laughs> is upset with DJ Smith. I think he's, you know, I've criticized DJ Smith multiple times, be it on the show, be it online in articles I've written tweets I've put out. I've criticized DJ Smith a lot for his player personnel uh, decisions. Nikita Zaitsev who's had actually a pretty solid start to this year has, you know, last year he was a disaster, but was still logging a lot of minutes. He puts a lot of trust in guys um, in the bottom six that are a lot more physical and maybe not actually good defensively. So then you couple that sort of with the confusing scratching of Colin White and some of the guys like Anisimov and Stepan that he's playing in the top six, you know, he's rightfully earned a lot of critics that way. But to me, I actually look, and like I alluded to earlier, the players that DJ Smith is playing shouldn't be on the team in the first place. And to me, that goes directly to Pierre Dorian. DJ Smith is his second head coach in his tenure as Ottawa GM. He was the guy that hired Guy Boucher. He is now the guy that hired DJ Smith. And unfortunately I'm starting to see a lot of similarities in the way that they're deploying players and the way that they are, you know, sort of trying to shape their roster on a nightly basis. But, you know, Pierre Dorian can set up DJ Smith for a lot more success by not bringing in loads and loads of veterans on, you know, multi-year deals or just for no reason at all, by giving up picks, you know, they gave up a third round pick for Austin Watson. They gave up a second round for pick for Derek Stepan. Pat, I don't even need you to chime in. Tell me how bad that is that you're giving up picks like that for guys like that. You know, Pierre Dorian's not setting up DJ Smith for success and DJ Smith is not setting up the senators for success on a nightly basis. They go hand in hand. I'd, Point a lot more of my gun at Pierre Dorian right
1: now. I think so. Yeah, I, I I think I agree with you because I from from like I I see this on online and I and it just seems like it's it's misdirected because Ottawa like Ottawa's not a good team. They're not supposed to be a good team, and I feel like coaches generally get targeted when a good team isn't playing very well, right? But Ottawa isn't that. Ottawa's uh, a bad we'll team. Well, think they're, they're that. They're they're an up and coming team, but they're a they're a bad team as of now, and they're not playing well. So I don't. And they're playing in a very tough dis- division. So I don't. Uh, if I were a Sens fan, I wouldn't be worried. I'd just be like, yeah, I mean, this is expected for this year. Just gotta move through it and you know dream. But
2: but I'll tell you why I do worry because given what Pierre Dorian has said and been vocal about in the media with you know, justifying a lot of the transactions he's made. One guy I haven't even touched on is Evgeny Dadanov, who is supposed to be really the one good signing out of all this. And he hasn't, you know, gotten off to a very good start at all in Ottawa. And But the one thing that really does concern me is with the moves Pierre Dorian has made, he wasn't making a lot of these moves and at least justifying it as we need to fill out the roster. We're still aiming towards next year. He justified a lot of them in saying, "We think we're going to be a much more competitive hockey team this year," and Ottawa has been so far from that.
0: Yeah, I go ahead, Luke. If you had a little, no, I just,
1: yeah, I, I get that, but like, I, I think, I think just looking at it objectively, they're, it's not a good team in a really good division. It's a, it's, I, I don't know, I, I just, I wouldn't be worried. I think it's, it's just where where, where the team is right now. And, um, I mean, when, when you look at it in like a very close up scale, like losing seven, one, and then five, one to Vancouver, who apparently isn't very good. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's a cause for concern, but just in the grand scheme of things, I, if Ottawa doesn't have a good year, I, I think that's to be expected, but I mean, obviously, you know, the situation far better than I do. Um, as a closeted Sens fan. But I just, I think I think the, the anger is, um, I don't know, out of place maybe.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the other thing is last year we gave Dorian full credit for how he handled the deadline. He acknowledged the situation. He knew the team could not compete and contend. You got rid of Pajot. You get some picks. You pick three and five in the draft. Stutzel was, was, there's nothing wrong with the Stutzel pick at three. Sanderson at five, that's debatable, but you still get a really good defenseman. You get a top defenseman, you get a top forward. Later picks are questionable, whatever, but we still give Dorian the credit because he understood the situation the team was in. And we knew he'd get some veterans. I just didn't know, and I don't think any of us did, we didn't expect him to get, you know, kind of trigger happy that now that he was given the green light to spend money on on veterans. And it reminds me kind of like Toronto, when Toronto was rebuilding before, when Lamorella was still in charge, they had Komarov and they had uh, Matt Martin. Those were veterans to, to surround the young players, but those veterans at the time were still playing somewhat productive hockey. Komarov was at least, I don't know about Matt Martin, but uh, Komarov was still a good hockey player. But then you get guys like Eric Goodbranson, you get Braden Coburn. Step on clearly is not working. I know he took a dumb penalty a couple of games ago, costing them. It's just not working. And then you kind of have to look, okay, well, did you rush too many young guys in here just to surround them with bad players? And that kind of leads me to my next question before we move on from this and I'll just direct it to you, um, well, both of you, I guess. At what point do you consider sending Tim Stutzel to Belleville? Logan Brown's not playing. Josh Norris has been a pleasant surprise, especially for me. Yeah, but you, you guys wouldn't. I Would you guys wouldn't. send him? Would you guys look at, at in any way? Stutzel, he he's been playing fine. He's been look. He's been good. He hasn't been fantastic. For, for what reason?
1: Fine. Like for his development?
0: For well, if okay, if he's not getting, I, I
1: think from what I can tell, he's pretty developed. Right. Like,
0: he he. He's a Doesn't very look like
1: a Yesberry very cockney Emmy situation to me.
0: Well, hey, man, we can, we could this, is, we can it's have a, unnecessary like a, don't even, shots. yeah, such an unnecessary shot. You know how many turn died, man. I'm already mad. You know, I don't even want to do this show. I'm not in a good mood. You know what, man? Patterson didn't get a point in a 7-2 win against the against the Sens, and he was minus five. Too busy looking. I, even, at I, I hate there. plus minus, but he was minus five in like a six goal game that Canucks scored. So that's pretty pathetic as well. All right, if we okay, want to go there, that's. I'm really, I'm really happy. It's, Whatever. It's anyway. the heat of the Canadian division, baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Can we have to do that? this. I think the Habs play the Canucks in like six days. Like we Next have to week, do it all yeah. over again. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Let me get back to the point of my question here. All right. Tim Stuhl is a very smart player. Very, very, very smart player. He knows what to do at both ends of the ice for the most part. He has been fine first couple of games. He got injured. And Nick, I'll, I, I, I don't know his ice time the past couple of games, if it's been relatively high. If it's been low, let's say it has been low. Let's the say he's lowest, doesn't start. Low, I think it was the lowest amongst sense forwards last night. It was one okay. of the lower ones. Okay. That kind of fits to my question. Then let's say it, it gets lower and he's not being played a lot. He's not playing well. Ottawa's not doing well. Do you at any point consider saying, hey, take take a couple weeks in Belleville? It helped and, and Luke can poke fun at Kakaniami. It helped Kakaniami. It did. He came back and K- played well.
1: Kakanyami, I'm Kakeniemi wasn't isn't as good as Stutz. No,
0: if, but I'm not comparing the two ready. players.
1: I well, you are well, though.
0: No, I'm not no, I'm I'm not comparing the two. I'm not comparing the I don't two think players. He's comparing the two. I'm saying when Kakanyemi, who was 19, how old is in nineteen? Stutzla just turned 19. Okay. Kakenami was 19 by the way, when he got sent to Laval. So they were two young players who were struggling or Kakenami was struggling at least. And he went to Laval for two weeks and it helped them out. I, if, if, if the Sens can do the same with Stutzel, would you do
2: that? I, Is- I don't think you can take that off the table right now. Sorry, Luke. I'm going to, I'm going to take the lead here. Cause Patrick's been trying to ask me this for about five <laughs> minutes. It feels like I, you can't take that off the table right now because you know, his ice time isn't exactly uh you know, up there with some of the superstars. I don't think you can dismantle the first line of Kachuk, Norris and Batherson right now to put Stutzla there and give him better line mates, because that line is pretty much the only consistently good senators line right now. I think the solve at the NHL level is you have to play him on a line with Colin White and Evgeny Dadnov. I think that's the easy fix at the NHL level, because right now he's playing with Tierney and Brown with all due respect to Chris Tierney and Connor Brown—they're fine shutdown forwards, but they do not have the skill and the speed to keep up with Tim Stutzla, and that has been painfully evident in a couple of Vancouver games here. And he's shown flashes, like he did in a couple of games against Toronto, of that individual moment of pure brilliance that you know Ottawa has lacked for so long at the forward position. So I, I think you have to consider putting him in, in, in Belleville and considering it better. Uh, for his development at this point, if he's going to be playing with two defensive stalwarts and forwards, you need to surround him with better line mates in Ottawa. And while the forward core is not great, there are better options there in Ottawa. I'd even call up Logan Brown and put him with Stutzla at this point, because you just need to find a better fit for him than two defensive guys. You need players that can keep up with him. Logan Brown's the guy I want, but I will take Colin White. I will take anybody else with Stutzla except for Brown and White or Brown and uh, Tierney, sorry.
0: Yeah, you know, we almost made I'm I'm with Nick. You bring up someone who's capable of playing, a skilled guy capable of playing with him in the bottom six if he's not going to play in the top six. And also, I was thinking about this the other day. A veteran I always thought Ottawa would look to bring in, and this in part could be just me obsessing over Montreal's cap situation, but Paul Byron seems like a good fit to go to Ottawa. Um, yeah, D- yeah, defensive could. forward. He's a very fast forward, great penalty killer, but he has some upside. He scored 20 goals a couple years ago. He'd be someone who'd be great alongside. You see, the you see that's a veteran you pay a pick for. You don't
2: pay a pick for an Austin Watson or a Derek Stepon. Those are players that you get paid to take. Exactly. Um, it, that's, that's the point that I made with Dorian earlier. I'm yeah. okay if you're bringing veterans that are good. I, I, but I, I have no tolerance for bad veterans that you paid and gave up to get. That's what has really irked me about the Senators right. so far this season. I, we'll see where it goes. But I think, uh, just my last note here on the Senators, I think there are definite changes coming back. Uh, sorry, when definite changes coming when they are back from this Western Canadian swing. we got a game against Vancouver tonight. They've got two against the Edmonton Oilers, which should be an absolute comedy show uh, going at this rate. <laughs> but I think once they land back at Ottawa, I think you're going to see Eric Branstrom, Logan Brown, um, possibly even somebody like Alex Formance and
0: straight back up to Ottawa. All right. Well, let's uh, we almost made it a full show without Luke having to poke fun at Cockney Emmy, but it was
1: relevant. I had to bring it up. It wasn't, it wasn't relevant. personal.
0: Well, it feels personal. Anyway, uh, let's real quick before we wrap up here, cause there's a <laughs> Habs opening game i need to watch in about 10 minutes opening uh home opener anyway jake muzzin and matthew kachuk this happened two nights ago i believe maybe three nights ago regardless uh toronto beat calgary in regulation calgary was pushing the last minute weren't able to score at the end when toronto's celebrating uh muzzin's on i think muzzin's on the on the ice actually and or uh kachuk's Calgary's on the on ice and yeah and uh, uh muzzin has the game puck and he just flicks it towards kachuk kachuk tried to hit it out of the way uh, missed, made him more mad and then went up and started, uh, fighting Jake Muzzin. And then if that wasn't enough going to the bench, he slams the bench door. He did some weird thing and punched the wall. He was upset. And this is, this is, this is Matthew Kachuk for, for anyone who's seen him play. This is the kind of player he is. This kind of guy he is. Um, I don't know what my question is, but I guess what are your thoughts on on this situation? Is that like, I think first off we should mention
2: this is Pretty much born out of the fact that Matthew Kachuk had a questionable incident at the end of the previous game when some fans are saying he purposely sort of jumped down on Campbell. I'm more 50. I don't think he did. I don't know that he actually meant to jump down on Campbell. Yeah, I don't think he did either. That's questionable. He does questionable stuff, Makachuk. So I think when stuff like what happened with Muzzin happens, he sort of brings that upon himself. That being said, I don't know how smart that that is of Toronto to do um, when they've got so many more games against Calgary. And I think, you know, a lot of these Canadian division teams when they're having these heated affairs, Ottawa certainly had its heat towards that sort of series with Winnipeg. I'm sure there's going to be some with Vancouver tonight. They have so many more games against each other. So I don't know what is going to happen Uh in the rest of those games, I'm sure it's going to be pretty ugly the next time Toronto and Calgary hit the ice together, um, especially now throughout the rest of the season because they are now on the Matt Kachuk hit list and we see what has happened with teams like the LA Kings before. So that'll be interesting to see.
1: I think um, those two situations specifically, I don't think Kachuk meant to to knee Campbell in the head. I, I could go on about that, but I, I won't. Um, and then the situation with Muzzin, Uh, I think those two were, those were separate things. I, I, yeah, I don't think he was happy about getting a puck shot at him. Uh, And then, but I I think his, his, uh, his outbreak in the hallway, I don't think that was related really to getting a puck shot at him. I, I, that doesn't make sense. I think that was probably related to uh, a bigger issue, something game related. I saw a suggestion.
2: Maybe it was because his teammates didn't exactly get as heated about it as he did. Yeah, I
1: I just I couldn't see that him doing all that just because someone flicked a puck at him.
0: Right, and that's the thing. And and you have people saying that this is a total scumbag move from Kachuk, and it kind of is. Let's not pretend for a second that if Matthew Kachuk flicked the game puck at a Toronto Maple Leaf, don't even they would would not be. They would, and this is the thing. I get it. I would be livid if a Leaf did that to a Hab. I would be pissed off. But I would also it would also but. Comparing the moves, what Kachuk did was worse, but I, come on, anyone would be would be pretty irritated. It's like when Suzuki tapped Carter Hart's head in the playoffs after scoring a goal on them. It's just like stuff like that just irritates you but I it's think, part of the sport. It's the reaction. I, I think
1: most people would get irritated and then just keep it to themselves, but
0: exactly. if it happened to
1: a Leaf, it'd be like, how is it just be all over everything? Everyone yeah. would
0: just be so upset. But how will this affects affect Freddie's next contract anyway? uh, But yeah, that that's the thing. It's that's that's part of hockey. It's irritating, and if it irritates you, it works. And I think it worked in Toronto's favor because it was Matthew Kachuk. If you do that to Johnny Gaudreau, I don't think you're having the same reaction. Anyway, that just about does it. This has been a fun episode. A lot of stuff going on. A lot more games in the Canadian Division. We are honestly just getting started. The amount of games we have to play uh, against our our respect teams. uh, There's still plenty to go, but. that just about does it here for us in episode 51 of take to take for Luke Burrows and Nick Robinson. I'm Patrick Talon, and uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. Mm -hmm.